This is a reading from Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the words, the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. It's good to be with you. I was telling my dear wife Marie that uh, last time I got to be with you all, boy, it was a much nicer place and a much nicer day, but uh, we were in that field. I don't know who owns that field, but boy, whoever that is, what a, what a beautiful place. I was thinking, this is the way they did it before electricity. <laughs> it was beautiful, but it's great to be with you, great to worship God. Um, with you, my wife and I were talking about this on the way here, that because of COVID, because of our age and because of her job as an ER nurse, we've been incredibly careful and like hardly ever in the last year have I been in a church service. This is the first time for Marie in a year, um, cause she, but she has her shots now. And I just get a little pin that says, I'm married to someone who has their shots. That's, <laughs> who's gotten their injections? Is that too private a question to ask? Yeah, you guys are too young. It's a young church. Um, I did want to recommend before we get started looking at Psalm 46 together, I've just started reading a book. Has anybody ever read this book called Suffering by Paul Tripp? Anybody have it? Wow. Um, what a timely word for any time of your life, but especially with all that's going on in our world right now. I'd, I'd hardly recommend it to you. Paul says a lot more than I can say this morning about suffering and chaos and confusion and not surprisingly, Paul says it better than I can, so I hardly recommend it to you. And as Jordan said, if you, don't, if you have your Bible with you and haven't turned to Psalm 46 yet, please do that. On August 23, 2011, I had a, an experience that can only be described as terrifying. I had uh, ridden my motorcycle down to see my daughter, Jen, who was living in Fredericksburg, Virginia at the time. Beautiful day perfect day, just gorgeous day to be on a bike, heading down to see her, have lunch with her, see how she's doing. A couple hour ride. Got there, Jen hopped on the bike, and there was a Wegmans nearby, so we rode over to the Wegmans, got some lunch from inside, and went and sat outside on this sort of patio area, you know, just right next to the wall right there. Enjoying lunch, talking, catching up, just so happy that I could be with my girl. And then suddenly out of nowhere, 
I heard a sound that can only be described as a jet plane flying like a couple hundred feet above us. I, I, I didn't know what it was. I thought, well, I knew there's military here and maybe it was a plane, but that seemed really low. And the next thing I know, I'm looking across at Jen and out of my peripheral vision, I realize that the wall to the Wegmans building is moving. It's moving. It's shaking and it's, it's moving. And I had no concept. I had no category for what was happening. So I just, I thought, well, let's get away from the moving building, grabbed my daughter's hand, ran across the street. And for about the next 20 seconds, this continued until it was finally over. And it dawned on us, we just experienced an earthquake. I, I've never been, anybody been through an earthquake before? We were, four, we were 40 miles from the epicenter in Virginia. And though it wasn't a big earthquake, it was enough to shake me. I can tell you that. I thought, okay, that's off my bucket list. I never need to live through an earthquake again. If you experience an earthquake, you know it doesn't just shake the walls, it shakes you. Because the ground and the walls and the buildings aren't supposed to move. They're supposed to stay put. It's a shaking experience. But earthquakes aren't the only thing that can shake us, are they? Marriages are supposed to stay together, right? Our children are all supposed to grow up and be Christians. There's always supposed to be enough money for us to survive and live. Our jobs are supposed to be secure. We aren't supposed to get that cancer diagnosis or that phone call in the middle of the night from someone we love and care about. Science and government should protect us. Our nation is supposed to be stable. We're supposed to be respected for our faith and not ridiculed for it. And we never expect our friends to abandon us or betray us. Earthquakes are not the only thing that can shake us. So when we're shaken... What are we going to do? What will we do? Give in to crippling fear, like Tyler talked about, because we can't control it? Maybe we'll look for security somewhere. Maybe we throw ourselves into our work thinking, at least this is something, this is some corner of my life I can have some control over. Maybe we'll seek comfort from, from food or the people in our lives. Maybe we'll look for confidence in political leaders to resolve the chaos in our world. Maybe we'll look to social media. Good luck with that. <laughs> like, like that's, if that's where you turn for comfort, that's a black hole, right? We run for, for comfort and security. We run to hobbies. We run to entertainment, maybe even to intoxication. But in the end, we're still left fear, fearful and discouraged, restless, and anxious, aren't we? There is another choice for us, beloved of God. In a shaking world, we have another choice. We can believe that our God is near, our God is all the security we have, and our God is all the security that we need. Amen? Psalm 46 
tells us this. Psalm 46 shouts for our confidence in an ever-present God. Psalm 46 claims that in an unpredictable world, God deserves our unqualified trust. We live in an unpredictable world, but our God deserves our unqualified trust. You and I can trust him when everything around us crumbles. Why? Because his power and his presence rule over every threat to his people. This psalm preaches three rock-solid reasons for us to trust God when everything around us is shaking. And the first, God is our strength in chaos. God is our strength in chaos. Verses 2 and verses 3 are, are something like, you know, in a much grander scale, what I experienced that day in Virginia with my daughter. It, it says the earth is giving way. Mountains are falling into the ocean, right? It, you know what this is? This is a picture of the very creation being uncreated. Remember, out of the waters of chaos, God created the earth. It's like it's all going backwards. This is a worst-case scenario. Think about the worst thing that can happen in your life. A lot of bad things can happen in this world, but nothing worse can happen than the world being destroyed than mountains falling into the sea. This, this is the worst situation. And the psalmist says, even though, see that in verse 2? We will not fear, although this happens. So this is the worst case scenario, right? The natural creation being destroyed. So from the greater to the lesser, to whatever we're dealing with, this applies. It describes natural disaster, but it's also a picture of general chaos in our world. And it's pointing you and I to everything that we consider dependable, reliable, and secure. Even though, even though. Waves crashing, mountains falling, chaos. Don't you find his claim, the no fear claim? You ever seen the sticker people have on their car? No fear? That was a long time ago. No fear, right? Don't you, don't you find the idea of not being afraid in a situation like this kind of shocking and maybe a little unreasonable? Hello? It's all falling apart. What threatens to crash your life to pieces right now? What do you worry about? Where's the chaos in your life? And how can you trust God in that? Look back with me at verse 1. Here's how we trust God in chaos. Because we know who God is. Who is he? He is our refuge and our strength. Our refuge and our strength. What is refuge, you know? You, you, First thing that comes to mind for me with when I hear refuge is like, you know, wildlife refuge where the animals are safe, you know, bird refuges. How did they know to stay in there, by the way? How did, never mind. So it, I think refuge is a protected place, free from the danger of destruction, right? God is our refuge. He is our secure place. 
when everything around us is chaos, and he is also our strength and our weakness, and as Tyler said, our inability to control. We can't control it, can we? We try, and we can't. But God is our strength. He is the one who has the strength to control our chaos. And the verse 1 says, in trouble. That means everything hard. But it's easy to skip over something really powerful in this verse. He doesn't say God is just with us. What does he say? He is a what help? What help? Very. Or your translation might say ever. A very present help in trouble. Not occasional help. Not he might help. You know? You ask your friend to come over and hang out with you. What might you hear? Yes, no, or what? Maybe, right? Maybe. You ask your friend to come help you strip wallpaper, paper, you will definitely get a definite maybe, right? <laughs> With our God, it's never a maybe. It's always yes. Always yes. What good father leaves his children to suffer alone in confusion and pain? Our God is a good father. Never passive, always ever-present to comfort us, preserve, and to deliver us, to act on our behalf. And he is faithful to be with us even when we're not faithful to him. That's good news. But what if you don't feel like God is with you? I have more good news. God doesn't need you to feel like he's with you in order to be with you. God doesn't go away when your feelings do. Very present. Maybe something that you relied on is now shaky and unpredictable. That's really hard. That's frightening. That's disillusioning, isn't it? What is God doing when everything's shaking? Partly, he's revealing what we trust in. See, my fear, your fear, it says, you, this thing I fear, have the power to harm me. You have the power to determine my future. What God is doing, see, fear exposes what we have the greatest confidence in, doesn't it? Whether, we're, whether we have greater confidence in the thing we fear or the God that we follow. I love that. I think it's a Geico. I love that, that ad with the guy with the chainsaws. You, you, know, you know which ad I'm talking about? There's, this, there's these four people, these four young people are absolutely terrified, and they're out in the middle of this road, and they're looking for a place to hide, and they're, they're, they know they're in great danger. And they're like, what do we do? Where do we hide? I don't know where to go. And there's this car with the motor running in the road right there, and this one woman goes, can't we just get into the running car? And the guy goes, are you crazy? I know. Let's go hide in the garage with all the chainsaws hanging. Let's go hide behind there. And they run in. They hide behind the chainsaws. And you see the guy with, like, the Jason mask just lift up his mask and go, rolls his eyes, like. And the announcer says, when you're in a horror movie, you make bad decisions. It's what you do. You know? Right? I've watched so many movies like that. Why do they do that? Because it's a horror movie. I said, it's so stupid. When you're in a horror movie, you make bad decisions. It's what you do. They ran from danger to danger. 
Aren't we like that? We, we run from danger to danger by putting our confidence in unreliable things instead of running to the one sure place of safety, the moving car, our God. See, God uses chaos to turn our confidence from unreliable things to a God who's always near to help. And you know, right now, maybe it's you, maybe it's a non-Christian friend or relative, but we probably all know somebody who's terrified right now by chaos. They do not have the peace that we have, but you and I can tell them where to find it, can't we? From stormy seas of chaos that threaten to swallow us, the picture now changes to a life-giving river of joy. And this is the second reason the psalmist gives us to trust God. God is our security in opposition. Our security in opposition. Verses 4 through 7 describe God's preservation of his people when they're being opposed by this world. And it says that we can be glad. Do you see that word? There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God. How can we be glad when life opposes us? How can you and I find joy when we're worried about our health, our kids, our money, freedoms, hard circumstances? How can we do that? He tells us by drinking from the streams of God. The streams of God. What does he mean? He means this. He means the Word. He means the Spirit. He means the life that flows to us as all those, those thoughts that terrify us are confronted by God's words. And God says, let me have something to say about what you're going through. And eventually, those words, like a stream, make their way to our hearts and our minds And everything changes. Not our situation, necessarily, but our perspective. And he gives gladness. In the midst of opposition, we can have gladness because of the promises of God. Who he is, what he's done, and what he will do. Because of that river, we can be glad in the face of the opposition described in verse 5. In verses 5 and 6. It says, God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. There's a stability from God's presence with his people that is contrasted with the vulnerability and the transience of this world that is not stable, right? Now, you see how it says when morning dawns? Why morning? Why not all day? Well, morning, you've got to understand, this was written to Israel, right? They were constantly being opposed by their enemies, constantly in danger of attack. Morning was when opposing armies usually attacked. It's when they launched their assault at dawn. It, it makes you think back to the, the Exodus and the Red Sea. When the Israelites crossed over on dry land by night, what happened when the morning came? Pharaoh's army tried to cross over, destroyed by God. The waters came back over them. She shall not be moved, it says. The church shall not be moved. It's contrasted with an earth-giving way in verse 2 and nations that are toppling and falling like Kelly read. See, the church is the place of stability in a 
unpredictable world. Why? Not because we are stable, but because God is present with her. The nations are raging, verse 6 says. They're raging. Who are they raging against? Who are they fighting against? God and his people. The nations are raging against God and his people. But God's voice, it says, has the power to melt armies. When things are melted, they can't threaten you, can they? You know? They're melted. Nations, armies, even universes. One day that will happen. Anything that opposes us. You know, many believers we know in other countries, we know this is true, are living in danger. Just just attending a Christian gathering or sharing the gospel could literally mean risking death. So what opposes us here in America generally? Some ideas, classmates maybe, relatives, co-workers, peers who may reject us or ridicule our faith. Non-Christians who get preferential, unfair treatment at work over Christians. Angry or hurtful words that come even from other Christians or family members. The possibility of government attacking our freedoms and taking them away. But we don't just face opposition from without, do we? We face it from within. Temptations from from a self-indulgent society immersed in making possessions, acceptance, fun, sex, admiration, material things, into, into things that we cannot live without. We face opposition from our own hearts that can believe that we can be satisfied without God, or at least without very much of Him. I face that all the time. Life seems to oppose us. Satan constantly whispers to us that our faith is useless. Where is your God? He attacks us when we're weak and discouraged and unbelief opposes us every single day. Sin within, circumstances without, press hard against us. Opposition. But Psalm 46 says to you and me, we can be glad by drinking from his word and his spirit and by understanding who it is who fights for us. In verse 7 and 11, if you notice or you're familiar with the psalm, it says the same thing in 7 and the same thing in 11. It says, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is is our fortress. Lord of hosts was was a title often used in the Old Testament that describes the armies of God, right? And remember remember the story with Elijah and his servant? Elijah's surrounded and think they're going to be killed and we're going to be destroyed. Elijah says, God, open the eyes of my servant. Suddenly he sees the mountains, the hills, just filled with angels, angelic beings of power and glory. The Lord of hosts is with us. He's fighting for his people. And then I'm reading this. I had to ask myself, why the God of Jacob? Why does he say Jacob? Why not Abraham? Why not Isaac? Well, first of all, Jacob was you know, the one who's called Israel, so there's something there. But 
Jacob, if you remember Jacob's life, if you're familiar with it, he was always asking for protection, wasn't he? He was alone a lot. He's, he's in places where he was in danger a lot. Partly his own fault with his brother Esau. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. But he's always asking God for protection. And do you know what this points to? You know why this encourages me? Because it speaks of a God who's full of mercy and protection, and he has both those things for me, for us. And he's our fortress, he says. You can misunderstand this. Imagery is important, especially in your Old Testament, all over your Bible, but you have to understand, fortress didn't just mean, you know, when you think of a fortress right now, what do you think? Maybe like Fort Knox or... You know, some other place that's like a, you think of old buildings, you know, but, but these fortresses that would protect against invading armies. In this, in this instance, it means something unassailable. It was put up so high, it couldn't even be approached. It was safe from attack. Not vulnerable. That's who God is. Lord of hosts. God of Jacob. Our fortress. So brothers and sisters, in in the middle of life and chaos and opposition, what can we be glad about? We can be glad about who God is. We can be glad about what he promises. And we can be glad that every single moment of our lives, he is fighting for us against everything that opposes us. In an unpredictable world, God deserves our unqualified trust. He is always worthy of our confidence. Psalm 46 ends by declaring God's unstoppable plans to rescue his world. The third reason the psalmist gives us to trust God in an unpredictable world. God is our sovereign in history. He's our sovereign in history. It's been estimated that in the last 3,400 years, only 268 have been without war somewhere. It's like 8% or something. 268 out of 3,400 years of recorded history. We take peace for granted here, don't we? Why? Partly because for most of us in our generation, it's all we've ever known. Maybe some of you have been in the military and you've experienced something different or you've been abroad to unstable countries. But here in the U.S., we take it for granted. But listen to the dispossessed and the destitute around the globe. Lives turned upside down by civil war, invading countries, disease, political and religious uprisings. Nations in turmoil. Who can bring lasting peace to the nations? Not human government. God alone can do that. Verses 8 and 9. Read them again with me. Come, behold the works of of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Do you see? When there is peace in our world, God causes it. God does. Otherwise, We would have wiped each other out by now. (laughs) We would utterly destroy each other. That, That doesn't mean that human efforts toward peace are useless. 
It just means that only God deserves our confidence to bring lasting peace to this world. Now, I'm about to take a beloved verse (laughs) and tell some of you that it doesn't mean what you think it means. We need to read God's words as he intended them to be understood. So, So don't hate me, okay? Please don't hate me, okay? Look at verse 10. Be still, it says, right? Be still and know that I am God. Do you know who this is addressed to? Not us. It's addressed to these nations, warring, fighting, opposing, killing, destroying. And God says, stop. Stop. It's a warning to the nations of God's inevitable sovereign judgment. Okay, still don't hate me? Okay. You know what? This this is better news than if it was directed at us to say, be still. You know, be still, my soul. Know that? This is better news because it's declaring God's control over nations and over history. That's better news. The same one who said to the wind and the waves, be still, says to the nations, stop. Stop your violence and rage and chaotic pursuit of power. Stop threatening my people. Be still. Stop it. God will be exalted. God will be known. Isn't that why we're here? Don't don't we gather together to exalt his saving power and remind each other he is with us? Don't we come to remind each other that Jesus has conquered all of it? To remind each other who Jesus is, what he's doing, what he has done, and what he will do in the future. Isn't that what we come together to do? See, God's saving acts bring him glory. When he says, I will be exalted in the earth, that's what he's talking about. His saving acts bring him glory. Even his sovereignty over the cross and death where the greatest war was won. And beloved, his final saving victories are yet to come. He's not done saving. The kingdoms of men fall. The kingdom of our God cannot be shaken. Jesus will not and cannot fail to build and preserve his church. God is sovereign in history, but not just human history, your history, my history. So what rocks your world like an earthquake? What threatens your peace? What tempts you to discouragement? 2020 probably did. 2021 is starting, taking off right where we left off, right? Isn't it? The promises of the Psalms point us to Jesus Christ. Christ. 
and his ultimate victory. Promises that are highlighted in places like Hebrews 13.5. What it says there is this. In the middle of a sentence it says, I will never leave you or forsake you. Never. See, because of what Christ has done through his life and death and resurrection, all these promises, Hebrews tells us, are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. Yes, amen. Our God reigns. Jesus was forsaken so that you and I never will be. I will never forsake you, never leave you. He was. We won't be. Christ endured and overcame chaos, opposition, and rage against him for us. That's good news. So, my friends, what stops you from trusting him? I have my reasons. You probably have yours. Maybe you think, my life is going great. I don't need him. Maybe, maybe you think my life has been so hard and it must all be God's fault. If that's you, please get Tripp's book on suffering and read it. Maybe you think nobody deserves my trust. You know that statement is a statement of trust. You're trusting yourself that nobody deserves your trust. Next time. Or maybe, maybe what keeps you from trusting is this. God, I will trust you when dot, 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 dot. That's not faith. That's a desire for control. Marie and I have experienced a lot of change and a lot of upheaval and shaking over the last five years. Things we never saw coming. Our expectations have, not, have often not been matched by the reality of what life has brought. You know what God is doing for us? He's using shaking to reorient our trust. He uses the soil of disappointment, heartache, and opposition to make something even better grow out of that. In that soil of disappointment and heartache and opposition, God is making something great grow. Gladness in the knowledge and nearness of Christ. When chaos and opposition and upheaval come knocking on your door, you'll find out who you're trusting. Can you imagine the effect it could have on the people we know who are watching us live in gladness and in confidence in an unpredictable and broken world? Our neighbors, your kids, your relatives, co-workers. See, this psalm is a contrast. It, it's a contrast between the temporary and the eternal, the stable and the chaotic, the reliable and the unreliable, what cannot stand and what cannot fall. That's what this is. What can we control? We cannot control the next five years. 
for the next five minutes, can we? But we can have deep confidence in God's presence in a changing and unstable world, whether that world is out there or right within our own four walls. He is with us because we are in him. He purchased us. He cannot forsake his beloved, precious possession. That's you, and that's me, and that's us. Beloved of God in an unpredictable world, he always deserves our trust. Psalm 46 shouts, God is a refuge in our sorrows, a fortress in our fears, a river in our thirst, a comfort in our tears. Luther was right to sing, a mighty fortress is our God. Pray with me, please. Father, I need this psalm. I have turned to it many, many times. I need this psalm. We need this psalm. But more importantly, we need the one this psalm is talking about. Lord, we present ourselves to you again in our weakness. I ask for grace for every one of us right now to just admit, God, we can't control anything. And ask for every one of us to admit that sometimes we run from danger to danger. We run from what's shaking to something that's not reliable, that becomes a replacement for who you are. But you will be exalted. You will be exalted in us by creating people of faith. And you're going to use shaking to do that. Lord, Peter says, don't be, don't be surprised by the fiery trial that comes upon you. But we still are, often. I pray for grace for us that our impulse would be more quick to turn to you when there's chaos. Our impulse would be more quick to turn to you when we're opposed and suffering for our faith. And our impulse would be to turn to you as we read about and hear about and live in a very unstable, chaotic world. You are sovereign over the nations and you are sovereign over your people. So let our hearts proclaim that and exalt that and worship the only one who's worthy of our unqualified trust every single day. In Jesus' name.